Welcome to Vermont Edition. I'm Bob Kinzel. The 2016 baseball season was historic as the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series in over 100 years. Here's Cubs announcer Pat Hughes making the call on radio station WSCR. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time, and the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The Cubs come pouring out of the dugout, jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds. The Cubs have done it. What a scene. Can the Cubs repeat as champions in 2017? What's the outlook for the Red Sox and the Yankees? And should Major League Baseball take steps to speed the game up? Today on our annual baseball show, our special panel will look at these and many other questions. With us today are Aaron Cofield, who is sports director at Fox 44 News. No question, Aaron is a Red Sox fan. We've also got Burlington representative Kurt Wright here, a devoted Yankee fan. And VPR's Mitch Wortlieb, who lives and dies with the outcome of every Red Sox game. Great to have you all back for this program. Thanks, Bob. Great Thank to be you. here. Thanks, Bob. Well, the season is now underway. I thought just to start the program off, what does it mean to you personally that the new baseball season has started? What does baseball mean to you? Why do you love this game so much? Aaron, what are your thoughts? Well, for starters, that means that the end of the winter is actually near. <laughs> We're not, we might not quite be there in Vermont yet, but um, I don't know. I think there's just something energizing and exciting every year when it's the start of a new baseball season. Even in this early you know, part of it where the winter sports and the NBA and the NHL is still going on, there's just kind of that, that excitement um, to start following your team and pay attention to the day-to-day and get ready for a summer and figure out which games you can get to. And Aaron, have you been a baseball fan all your life? When did it start? Um, I, it's, I mean, I think it started when I was young, but more just as a player. I, softball, of course. But we used to joke that my mom would put us into sports instead of hiring babysitters. And so when <laughs> we were little, I had a lot of coaches that took care of us after school. And uh, I don't know, we're more of a playing family than a watching family. But when you play, you start to, you know, talk about the teams and talk about the players and and begin to watch. I also have a brother who's a year older than me. So certainly uh, that helped. Kurt, what does baseball mean to you? Well, baseball means to me, it it takes it for me, it takes me back to being a kid. Every time baseball starts, there's something romantic about the baseball season that's different than any other sport, I think. And it's, it is a part of what Aaron said that, you know, spring is sprung, spring, hope springs eternal um, for every team. Every, when you, you, spring starts, you, you, you can have belief that your team can win it this year. And, um, but I think there's just something romantic about baseball. It takes you back to being young when the baseball season starts again and uh, um, Little League and all the rest. And uh, it's, I think if there's something about the sport that still survives, and I, I know we're going to talk about this later, but I hope that baseball and the people running baseball are very careful with making some small changes to it, but let's not make wholesale changes that actually potentially destroy the game. I think that uh, it still has... Um, uh, uh, what it needs without, you know, making changes that may actually hurt it. So you were a baseball fan as a kid? Yes. I was probably about 13 or 14 when I started really following baseball. 
And uh, my older brother was very unhappy with me because he was a huge Red Sox fan and I turned out to be a Yankee fan. <laughs> he was not happy. So, Mitch, what does uh, the start of the baseball season mean to you? Oh, believe it or not, Bob, it actually eases some, some of my anxiety. Uh, as crazy as I get about the Red Sox fortunes as the season moves on, but what Aaron was saying before about uh, basketball and hockey season, you know, gearing up for their playoffs, I am a huge hockey fan as well. And, you know, the Boston Bruins are in the playoffs for the first time in three years now, and I'm very nervous about that because I don't know how well they can possibly do in the first round. So knowing that I've got baseball there, that I can, you know, worry about 162 or one more games for the Red Sox, that kind of eases my mind with that. I can slip into the baseball mode, which I know is going to be a super long season. I can glide along with it. And, you know, it's it's nice to have. It just It's just that little buoy there as I start to get a little anxiety about my hockey team's fortunes. And, Mitch, were you a baseball fan as a kid? Oh, absolutely. I mean, probably from the time 8 or 10 years old, I was playing Little League and played baseball up until high school, you know, until uh, pitchers learned how to throw a curveball, and then I was done. I really had delusions that I was going to be really good because I could hit the fastball. But as soon as they threw the bender, I, I was just done. It was over. But, it's yeah, it's been a part of my life uh, for as long as I can remember, really. Mitch, what did it mean for Major League Baseball that the Cubs won the World Series last year? <laughs> wow. It meant everything I know to Cubs fans. I, I had the pleasure of uh, – I, I sought out some Cubs fans living in Vermont. You know, I wasn't sure there would be any, but of course there were. Uh, and this woman I spoke with uh, before the series began and then when they clinched it really summed up what it meant for people who lived and died as Cubs fans going through all those years when they just couldn't win at all. It was a little different than the Red Sox because the Red Sox would often have, you know, uh, they would snatch uh, victory from the jaws of defeat or the other way around, you know, and and. The Cubs fans just went years without winning anything, and then they would have some heartbreaks thrown in. But 108 years go by, and finally this iconic uh, club wins it all for their fans. You saw the the hundreds of thousands of people in the streets of Chicago. I know how that felt as the Red Sox finally won it in 2004. I think it's a great story for baseball. The only problem for Cubs fans now is that now they're just another team. Uh, I'm sorry to say it, but that's all they are. There's nothing special about them anymore. (laughs) Well, on Wednesday night at Fenway Park, it was cold. I think the starting temperature was 40 degrees at game time. It went down into the high and mid-30s. And we got this email from Ray who wrote, I'm so happy to see baseball back, but why are so many teams opening at home in places like Chicago, Detroit, or Boston, where the weather this time of year can be rainy and cold? Kurt, is that just a fact of life? I think it is. Um, you know, I think we always probably talk about that, but I think it would be impossible to schedule all the games somewhere where it's warm. I mean, the Yankees were scheduled in Tampa this year, but there's been other years when they've opened in New York and they've played in snow. And I think that's something that we just, uh, it's always been that way. Baseball starts in early April, and you're going to have some games that are going to be played in some tough, bad weather. But that's that's a part of it, frankly. I Again, I um, have some great memories of watching the Yankees on opening day play in snow and, and snowflakes falling and, and all the rest. Uh, so I think, you know, it's just something we have to suck it up that early part of April. And there will be some games played in some bad weather, but that's just the way it is. Let's turn to Bob in Rutland. Hey, Bob, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this show. 
I was going to say, I just wanted to ask your panelists a question. The first one I want to know is what their opinion is of what uh, ESPN analyst calls logo creep, in particular the new patch on the side of every Major League Baseball player's hat there, the corporate logo. And I want to also comment that I know last year after you had your show, there were a number of MLB players that were caught uh, using PSPEDs. And I wanted to comment on that because one of them uh, actually took some of Jackie Robinson's records away. And the third thing is I believe the game should just slow down a little bit. Life's too fast as it is. Let's not pace it out of the way. So thank you very much. All right, Bob, thanks for your phone call. Uh, logo creep. Uh, I was actually unaware of this. Aaron, mm. do you know anything about this? <laughs> no, I was kind of sitting here silently thinking, don't come to me, don't come to me. <laughs> 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 uh, my iPad wasn't bringing it up fast enough as I tried to see what that was all about. Well, I, I know this is going to happen in basketball. Yeah, uh, Mitch, do you know something about this? Well, it is it's exactly as the caller described it. It is logo creep because they're starting with the patch. They're, they were talking about putting advertisements on the bases as well. Uh, and, you know, at least it's not soccer where the soccer players run around. They look like walking, you know, ads for Pepsi and, and car companies and what have you uh, running, I should say. But, uh, yeah, you know, I just it's it's too bad. I love the classic uniforms, the way they look without any kind of logo or ad or representation. That patch, I think, is is right now it's not terrible. But if they start putting actual advertisements on the players uniforms, that's where I'm really, really going to have a problem with it. Well, it's tough, though, because then if there is this patch, I guess that opens the door now. You yeah. know, for so long there was nothing, and now slowly that first baby step is taken, and then you add another, you add another. 30 years from now, who knows what That's the uniforms right. are going to look like. We have a lot of people who would like to discuss uh, this idea of speeding up the game. So let's talk to David in Clemens, New York. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Hi, uh, I don't think they should shorten it at all because the long games, I mean, really, when they go really long, that's the best part of the game because it's an intense battle and you're, uh, you're uh, um, on the seat uh, going crazy for it. And if they shorten it, uh, you know, they, they may not uh, have that. I remember one game with the Mets and it was pouring rain. I think it was the year where they won the series. And they kept going and going and going. I don't know how many innings it went. And they won. But it got, it was just uh, um, amazing. Right on. I agree. All right, David, thanks for your phone call. We got this from Rich on Twitter. Please address steps to speed up the game. A walk, intentional or not, is four pitches as the gods had intended. And we also have from Gary the idea that baseball games are too slow or too long is mainly a myth held by people who don't like baseball. I think many people enjoy the fact that baseball games are not timed. It's exciting when there are extra innings and goes even longer. And also Ray posted, I don't care at all for the proposed rule change to put a man on second base at the start of extra innings. So mm -hmm. let's start with that concept. I think, you know, this is uh, one of the most bold ideas that anybody's ever had, Kurt. We go to extra innings, it's the 10th inning, and all of a sudden, you get a runner at second base. It is bold. It's bold and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, sometimes bold is good. This, this is not good. And uh, of all people, it, it, it at least partially came from somebody who I have tremendous respect for. Joe Torrey was at least advocating for this idea or consideration of it. And I think it's a terrible idea. I agree that... 
we don't need to try to shorten the game in the sense that, well, we need to have all the games be two hours or 220 or whatever. If you're a baseball fan, games can be – if it's a great game, who cares that it goes three hours or three and a half hours if it's a thrilling game? Right. Now, what I think, though, is we do need to speed it up where there's just times where it's just dragging and nothing's happening. Now, for me, I'm a baseball fan regardless. But we also have to acknowledge that there are – we want to make sure young people growing up don't get so bored that they don't follow the game and we start losing young people for for baseball fans. So I think there's some things – I had mixed feelings, but I think it's okay to try this – the walk. The batter goes intentionally. They just signal he goes to first base. Uh, Trying to get the batters maybe in the batter's box – more quickly and things like that. But this idea of putting a runner on base in the extra innings and some of the other things that I've I've heard about are just over the top and I think actually will hurt baseball. I think they need to be very careful about what they do to try to speed baseball up. Aaron, what do you think about this idea of uh, going to extra innings and you start with a runner on second? I don't know. I, I'm not really that big of a fan of it. I think it's tough. It, it almost makes me think of, you know, when the NFL had that the first people to score win, and, and then it was so easy to kick field goals that it just became whichever team gets to go. Flip, and yeah. and all of a sudden, it you know, it, it makes it easier in a way. Or you look at the Red Sox game from the other night. They went to extra innings. The Red Sox never, you know, l- allowed a runner in scoring position for the Pirates the entire game. And now all of a sudden, just because we're in extra innings, they get a guy on second. And, and, you know, so quickly things can change that to play the game one way the entire time and then to just put that, like, gimme guy on second base, I don't think that that's the solution. And I think at that point when your team's in extra innings, that's I don't think those are the games where people are complaining that it's too long. You know, that's, that's when, when like the caller right. said, yeah, that's when it's exciting. That's when everyone's really paying attention. And, oh, my gosh, like every – hit matters, every at-bat could mean something. Well, Bob, I'll go even a little further uh, just to say, you know, because I, I have to disagree with Kurt being that he's a Yankee fan. I, I agree <laughs> with him about the second base thing, but I'll go as far to say is I don't even like the idea of putting a runner automatically on first with the intentional walk thing. And it's not just to sp- the, the speed thing. I know it just seems boring. You throw the four pitches and they go over. 95% of the time that happens. Every once in a while, believe it or not, and there's video proof of this, you can find it, there will be an errant throw. And if there's a runner on third base, that's a run. You're taking that potential run away if you automatically put that guy on first. And there's an incredible clip, if you can find it, uh, from back in the uh, 70s where the Oakland A's actually struck out a batter because the the manager came out and told the pitcher, it was Raleigh Fingers, he said, look, we're going to get this guy to 3-2. and two. I'm going to give the signal for the intentional walk. Catcher's going to set up outside. He did. Then at the last second with the batter relaxing, not expecting it, fingers through a strike on the outside corner and struck him out. Now, that is almost never going to happen, but it can. And as I said, I have mixed feelings about it, but it's one of the ones that I can live with trying because I don't think it's a radical change. I think that cutting down on the dead time in baseball a little bit where you can without trying to shorten the game or or all that or you know make them two-hour games, I think that's something that I'm personally – well, I have mixed feelings. And you can go as recently as last year, actually. Gary Sanchez – when they were trying to walk him, did swing at, at one of the pitches that they were was meant mm. to just be a ball, and he whacked it almost out of the ballpark, and he ended up getting an RBI. He hit it to the warning track and got a sacrifice fly. So, yeah, it, but but they are so few and far between, and so infrequent um, that I think it's it's okay to try something. I don't think that's a radical change. Whereas the second base one is a radical change, and some of the other ones I hear are 
very concerning as well. Well, let's talk to Dave, who's calling from Rutland. I think he'd like to weigh in on this subject. Hey, Dave, welcome to the program. Ah, thank you. Glad you all have this baseball show every year, too. I think it's great. Uh, you know, I, I think that the intentional walk, just as y'all were just saying, it, it takes something out of the strategy of the game. And really, that's a big part of baseball that I don't think people consider enough. There is a strategy to the way that you uh, play different batters and the way you play the game. And when you start taking that element out of it, you start taking the coaches out, not to mention the fact that we've seen that if you do speed up the game, so to speak, you still have situations where uh, I think there's going for a little bit more time to advertise perhaps maybe that dollar amount starts uh you know holding over over the game there too and it can't always be about money dave thanks very much for your phone call let's look at another idea that folks have to speed up the game aaron get your thoughts on this when you bring a relief pitcher in that person must pitch to at least two batters. None of this, you know, alternating left, right, left, right, three or four relief pitchers in one inning. This case, every relief pitcher has to pitch to at least two batters. Good idea? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I understand where it cuts down on the time because of obviously the whole waiting for them to warm up and everything like that. I think it's just tough because it goes back to the strategy and there's a reason that they do that and there's a reason they feel so strongly about doing that. I also, it's like, it's tough because kind of like I said earlier, why why when we're in the extra innings when we're in the end of a game when it's close and it's a really big deal, are we trying to rush it? Like that's like being in the last two minutes of a basketball game and it's a one-point game and you say, all right, no one's calling a timeout. <laughs> we just got to go and see how it goes because we got to get this over with. And, Kurt, another idea is limiting how many times a catcher or a coach can visit the mound in a game. Uh, I will say I don't like the other one that you just mentioned. Um, I think that uh, that actually would cut down on strategy. I don't think the ball, having somebody uh, sent to first base instead of throwing the four wide pitches, actually cuts down on strategy. I think that's you're going to walk the guy. That's the strategy. Uh, but um, I... I I'm not a fan, I don't think, of either one of those. I, I think that those, you know, let's just make sure, I, I really have umpires control the game more. Break these things up. Make the batter stay in the batter box. Have a directive to umpires to they can actually make the game go faster just by controlling the flow of the game a little bit themselves more. Get the batter into the batter box. Don't let them stand out there and, you know, in between bit pitches every single time and, and take all kinds of time gyrating around with their pitching glove and everything else. Um, and don't let the meetings at the mound go on forever. Um, you know, I think they're little things like that. Make directives to the umpires to keep the game moving. I mean, Mitt, what, yes, Aaron. Sorry, this may be just completely out there and everybody might be like, that's a terrible idea. But and, I, and maybe it's been tossed out there, but I almost feel like out of all of these things we've discussed, the thing I'd most prefer would be, I think about my you know soft, beer league softball games. But if they were to just start with like a one-one count instead, hmm, that sounds like a radical idea, though. You mean just all of a sudden you're the batter? It's just, like yeah, when you count? get yeah, like you huh. start rather than walking into the box with a you know zero zero count you start one one so then you get two strikes and three balls basically not for me <laughs> no, I mean, thank I, you. I said it was radical and kind of out there but it's a, i'd prefer that i think to a guy on second or some of these other things 
Uh, Mitch, what about the idea that baseball really should implement a very strict pitch clock and enforce it? You mean uh, the pitcher only has so much time before throwing each pitch? That's right, and they're doing that down in the yeah. minor leagues now. No, no, I, I can't I can't go with that. I think pitchers, and, I, and believe me, it drives me crazy when somebody like David Price, who takes forever to deliver the ball, uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka was also infamous for that. You know, I get a little fidgety too, I admit it. But every pitcher has their own style, and I, to take that away from that pitcher, if you're a more effective pitcher by holding on to that ball longer before delivering the pitch, uh, pitching is so difficult to begin with. Uh, I say you got to let them do it. Um, I guess where I would break with the, the the purist in me is saying, yeah, let's get those batters into the batter box a little quicker. Um, of course, that goes against what I just said about pitchers. If you're Nomar Garcia Parra and you need to adjust those gloves 15 times, I guess that's what you need to do. But maybe um, the managers coming out to talk to uh, the pitchers and all those meetings that they have. I would definitely cut down on that time. You know, there's that famous scene in Bull Durham where they come out and they think they're, you know, they're talking about strategy and they're saying, well, you know, candlesticks always make a nice wedding gift. You know, they're not even talking about baseball. (laughs) That's right. You know, I mean, there is too much of that. And I I totally agree. I think one change I would be in favor of is saying, look, you get X number of visits to the mound and those visits to the mound are going to be timed by the ump. And if you go over... Maybe we're going to put a strike on you. You know, we're going to put a strike on the batter or something. I I would be in favor of that. Today is our annual baseball show with us today. Burlington representative Kurt Wright, a devoted Yankee fan. Also, VPR's Mitch Wortlieb, as you know, a Red Sox fan. And Aaron Cofield, who is sports director at Fox 44 News, also a Red Sox fan. Well, let's take a look at how you think your teams are going to do this year Aaron, what steps did the Red Sox take over the winter to strengthen their roster, and how do you think the team's going to do this year? I mean, this early on, if we want to look at the big get of the offseason in Chris Sale and then see how well he threw the other night, I'd you know like to say that was a solid thing for them to do, and you know things are looking bright for the Boston Red Sox. There's, of course... That same thing we talk about, I think we talked about it last year too, though, is people need to be healthy and the pitchers need to, you know, consistently do well. And we're already kind of a step back with David Price having the issues he's having and, you know, no trigger being pulled on if he'll need surgery or not. And they're just kind of monitoring it. But, you know, how long do you wait before you either realize he's going to get better or he's not? And or, you know, just, I don't know, health, health, health is health. kind of always the thing. Yeah, and Aaron, David Price is a big question mark. Here he is, a very high-priced pitcher, had a pretty good year last year, maybe not quite what other people wanted, but there was a lot of hope for this year with David Price in the rotation and also Chris Sale, who came over from the White Sox. Uh, the questions about David Price are pretty serious, aren't they? They are, but I think the best thing that could have happened is Chris Sale doing well the other night. Can you imagine if he'd gone out there and not done well, and then everyone's down on him, and then they're down on Price, all of a sudden any kind of optimism this early on is is really shot. Um, it's tough. I know when, it, you know when it's your elbow and it's a pitcher, and they want to take it seriously, but he's also a huge investment for them, so yeah. it's... I'm sure it comes down to kind of seeing what's happening, and who knows? They might be holding off on pulling the trigger on any decisions to see how the rest of the rotation does to say, "Ah, all right, maybe we'll be okay. Let's, you know, get this fixed, or "Ah, let's treat it for now and get him in there because we really need him. It's a $200 million elbow. (laughs) I don't want to be that doctor. (laughs) (laughs) 
Kurt, it seems like the Yankees have decided to have a strategy of rebuilding the roster, bring some young players up to play in the field. Is is that right? Do I have that right? And how are you feeling about the team as the season starts? Well, it is right, and it's it's as the the song says, the times they are a changing. And they are for the Yankees, number one. The Yankees no longer, for how long did they have the number one uh, payroll in baseball? Now they're, they're number three, and they're continuing to move down a little bit. Uh, Detroit and L.A. are both ahead of them. Not too much difference between the Yankees and the Red Sox now. And I think that's going to continue to trend that way because Hal is, is really hell-bent on getting payroll under control and getting under the luxury tax. Um, and they're moving in that direction. Uh, it it's also a different day in that the Yankees are an underdog this year. The Red Sox are almost universally picked to win the division. And the Yankees, even by the New York uh, baseball writers, mostly are predicted third, occasionally fourth here and there. Once in a while, a couple guys had them second. But, they're, but so they have gone with a youth movement and a rebuild. But at the same time, they're trying to also make sure that they have a team that can contend. They're trying to walk that fine line. And I think that they're doing it. I think they can contend this year, but also move in the right direction. They, on opening day, they had a 24-year-old catcher, a 24-year-old first baseman, a 24-year-old right fielder, and a 24-year-old shortstop. Uh, and there's more coming. Glaber Torres is 20 years old. He's the guy they one of the, the main uh, guy they picked up in the Araldus Chapman deal last summer. He is an uber prospect, one of the best in baseball, and I think we're going to see him before the year is out. He's 20 years old. He's down at Double A. Something's going to happen, and he will be called up before the season's over. I predict. So the Yankees didn't get off to a good start. That first opening series was actually pretty disappointing. Tanaka and Pineda both pitched horribly. And the rookies um, showed some growing pains in that first series. Uh, they did not perform well. What you don't want to see is that snowball into where their confidence is sort of beaten down, and that continues. So I'm really anxious to see how they do in Baltimore starting tonight. But I, I am very excited by the Yankee team. I'm very excited by Greg Bird at first base and Gary Sanchez at catcher and Aaron Judge, the big monster in right field, 6'7", 280 pounds. Um, We've got pitchers, I think, that are going to be coming up. So I am excited uh, for the Yankee team, even if we don't make the playoffs this year. If, as Aaron said, health is very important to the Yankees. They can't afford really any serious injuries. Um, if everything falls right, the Yankees can contend. If it doesn't fall right, they can be a losing team for the first time since 1992. Mitch, what are your thoughts about the Red Sox season? You know, I'm pretty up on the Red Sox right now, and I guess it's because of that small sample size. You know, two games, they won them both, one in dramatic fashion. And only 160 to go. And that's it. You know, that's all we got to do is win the next 160. But uh, watching Chris Sale pitch the other night was absolutely revelatory for me. I watched him a little bit with the White Sox when he'd play the Red Sox mostly. But this guy looks, he's got the same frame that Pedro Martinez has, that wiry, skinny guy. You can't believe he can throw that hard. Uh, but he's a southpaw. And the way he was mixing up his pitches, the command that he had on a cold night, a difficult night to throw the ball, he just was in complete control. And it made me realize this was the right move to make to get this guy. So even if David Price has issues, and I believe for sure that David Price is going to end up on the DL at some point this season, because even if he didn't have to have surgery, when you've got a sore elbow and you throw as hard as he does, that is not boating well. So that's going to be a problem. Uh, it's got to pick up other guys like Stephen Wright, who's pitching tonight uh, in Detroit, is going to have to have a great year, and I hope that he does. Uh, Eddie Rodriguez has got to take the next step in his development. But these are good problems to have. I think the Red Sox 
starting staff is very strong. I've got some concerns about the bullpen because you've got Tyler Thornburg, who they picked up last year, who's on the DL to start the year. He was supposed to be the setup guy to get to their closer, Craig Kimbrell. Uh, he's going to be on the DL for a while. Carson Smith, who is a terrific uh, long relief guy as well, won't be available till June because he had Tommy John surgery. So it's going to fall on guys like Joe Kelly and Heath Hembry to uh, have that bridge in the seventh, sixth, seventh, and eighth innings. If they can get it done, and I'm not convinced that they can because they have control problems, they can be wild. But if those guys can come through and get to Kimbrell, the offense, I think, is going to be good enough for the Red Sox to either win the division outright or at least make a wild card. So I really do think they're going to make the playoffs. Sure hope I'm right. Mitch, some people might be wondering, how do the Red Sox replace Big Poppy, David Ortiz? And the answer is you don't. I almost just said I can't believe we haven't talked about Big Poppy. <laughs> there is no replacing him. I, it, it's, a, it's, it's a bittersweet season this year. I, I keep sort of half expecting him to come up and spit into his gloves and slap his hands together, and he's just not there. You can't replace him. What they did is they're taking a, a, an approach to get a couple of guys in there. Mitch Moreland, the new first baseman, who, uh, you know, he's 0 for 9, but he almost cranked one out the other night. It would have gone in any other night that wasn't April. Uh, I believe he can be a good hitter. Uh, Pablo uh, Sandoval is going to have to have a comeback year and, and, and hit well. They still have Hanley Ramirez in the DH spot. They're going to score runs. They got Mookie Betts. They got uh, JBJ, who's shown that he can hit. I'm not too worried about the lineup, but no, you're not going to replace David Ortiz. And some of that production and some of that clutch hitting is going to fall off. There's no question about it. He, he's, he's just one of the greatest that ever played. Hey, guys, also, I'm not, oh. not going to miss Big Poppy at all. <laughs> I'm sure you won't. I think it's tough because not only can you not replace what he did on the field, but just like his energy and everything he brought just as mm-hmm. a leader of that team and in the dugout and just, you know, it, it was there's always something about anytime a camera cuts to Big Poppy, you just kind of want to smile and he's just so jovial and, yeah. and excited and, I, you know, it's not – performance on the field, but it's definitely something that matters in sports. Let's talk to John, who is calling from Richmond. Hey, John, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. I was uh, yeah, I was calling about when you were talking about the reforms and proposed changes, and I'm kind of a purist. Uh, you know, part of the game is the, is the, the, the human error, literally errors, um, you know, but also deception, stealing bases, hidden ball trick. Uh, it's one of the few games that doesn't have a time limit. And extra innings seems like you're getting a bonus. You know, I think everybody else copied with overtime and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's one of those things where you still have to think. And, and the little guy could still win the game for you. Um, you know, the old Bucky Dent <laughs> situation. Okay, that's you know, enough. It, <laughs> keep talking. I'm liking that. <laughs> deep to left. Oh, my. Tough John, numbers. thanks very much for your phone call. We got this email from Suzanne. I can't believe anyone would like the proposed changes to baseball. It's blasphemy. I especially object to signaling for a walk. Part of the strategy that would be lost is the cost of pitches. If you really want to walk the player, it will cost your pitcher at least four throws. Maybe not their faster, fastest, but still a cost. So a lot of split opinion on this idea of the intentional walk. Today it's the annual baseball show with us, Aaron Cofield, sports director at Fox 44 News. Burlington Representative Kurt Wright and also VPR's Mitch Wortlieb. Let's talk to Ron, who is calling from Shelburne. Hey, Ron, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. Good afternoon, everybody. 
I have a couple points I wanted to uh, talk about uh, since it's a good time for this show. Uh, Mitch, I'm, I'm the uh, Mets fan that we uh, talked a couple years ago. Oh, excellent. Great to have uh, you back. I think in the interleague games, no more than nine, maybe even six. Uh, it's just gotten carried away. And when the Red Sox start the season against an interleague um Pittsburgh Pirates, I just don't think that's right. Mm-hmm. Number two, and I know I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this, but designated hitter. Long-time <laughs> Mets fan, long-time <laughs> National League fan. The designated hitter takes away so much strategy. The National League managers earn their pay. Ron, those are two very uh, good topics. Um, they are. Mitch, let's start with interleague play. And just so folks understand that when teams in the American League play at the National League Park, they don't get to have a designated hitter. Nope. They sure don't. And, of course, when the National League team, like the Pirates, come to Fenway Park, they do have a designated hitter. Uh, What are your thoughts about this? It's totally unfair. I hate it. Uh, I don't like interleague play, but I've I've almost forgotten about it now. And it's so interesting, uh, you know, with the Red Sox starting against Pittsburgh— uh, I didn't even think twice about it. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's such an advantage for the National League team. They come in, they get to have an extra player, in effect. Then you go to a National League ballpark, and all of a sudden you're asking your pitcher, who, who doesn't hit at all during the year, he's got to get up there and, and hit. The point is true that the National League managers have to do more managing uh, because they don't have the designated hitter. And that's true. They have to strategize more. But it's such an advantage for National League pitchers. Because every time they pitch a game, they come up to that, uh, you know, that eighth batter, and they know the pitcher's coming up next. That's like almost getting a free out. So they don't have to worry about, you know, pitching around a guy or whatever, or who's coming up next. And that's why so many National League pitchers, when they get traded to American League teams, they almost always have a lousy year. Because all of a sudden, they come to the American League, there's no break. There's no break in the lineup. There's no easy out all of a sudden. Yeah, some pitchers can hit. Madison Baumgartner's a great hitter. I get it. But that's like 20% of the pitchers out there. Most of the time, it's like watching, you know, somebody trying to hit a baseball with a wet pool noodle. It just doesn't it doesn't work. And I would much rather see the DH out there. I'm a DH guy, American League through and through, and uh, I don't want to see the DH go away ever. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Interleague play and how it relates to the designated hitter? I think it's a tough one. I, you know, I agree with everything that Mitch was saying, and I think it's a it's a funny little rule that I don't know that there's anything in other pro sports where one you know one league one conference has this very big rule that's very different. You know, depending on the team, and we were actually just during the break talking about differences in professional sports when it comes to a lot of things. And so, I mean, that'd be like almost arguing, you know, if in the NFL, like you can either kick extra points in one league and you can only go for two in another league. It's, right. It changes everything. It's a very yep. big difference to have. Uh, I am not a huge fan of interleague play, and I wish they would really limit it. I, on the other hand, I do like a series like the Yankees and the Mets, the national rival. I mean, the natural rivalries. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays playing the, you know, um, the other the other Canadian team. Uh, well, there isn't one now. No, there's not one anymore, of course. But we, whatever we the, the natural rivalries, <laughs> yeah. whatever the natural rivalries are, I like to see one of those series or two of those series. And I wouldn't like to. I don't like where we play every team in a particular division. On the DH, no, I'm sorry, I totally disagree. Ron Bloomberg was the first DH in 1973 for the Yankees, and I, over time, became a DH fan. I I do not see the excitement of that strategy. Um, to me, they're obvious strategies, and it's a time when you want to go out in the kitchen and get yourself a drink when the pitcher's batting because it's so rare that a pitcher 
actually does hit. They're, the reason they're pitchers is because they can't hit. Most of them are hitting 083 or 112 or whatever. So, no, to me, it's not worth it for baseball to have the little strategies that are not exciting. Um, I'd rather see a guy who actually can hit the ball uh, up there batting. So, Mitch, we got this comment from someone who would like to know, well, if the pitchers can't hit, why don't you just have eight people bat? <laughs> I never really thought about that one because uh, you ha- you have to have nine. I mean, that's just that's just the rule. Uh, you could get rid of this whole controversy by having uh, DH is in both leagues, and that's what yes. I would be for. Now, I know that's blasphemy to those of the senior circuit who grew up, you know, loving having the pitcher hit. But that's the way to do it. And, and I don't even mind it so much during the regular season. I do think the interleague play should be limited. But it drives me crazy when you get to the playoffs. The advantage that a National League team has in a playoff series, it's unbelievable to me. It's like Aaron was saying. Can you imagine, you know, it, in the playoffs in basketball, if uh, the Eastern Conference team went to the Western Conference and said, okay, you guys are not allowed to shoot three-point shots tonight. You know, you, you can't do that. Our, our guys can, but you can't. It's ridiculous. Completely right, Mitch. And if I can make one additional point, the DH has obviously been around for almost a half century now. Mm -hmm. And let's remember that the National League now, Major League National League, is the only league in all of baseball that no longer has a DH. All of the minor leagues use the DH, including National League. Every single league in baseball but the Major League, National League, is the only holdout to not using the DH. The Yankee fan makes a good point. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to happen sometime. Aaron, I wanted to chat with you about defensive shifts. You know, 10 years ago, there were very few cases when a team in the field would set up a special defensive shift for a batter. Now it's t- done all the time. It almost seems like a third or a half of the batters have these incredible shifts. Often when the left-handed batter is up, All foreign infielders are playing on the right side of the infield. The left side is virtually empty. Uh, Some people have suggested that Major League Baseball should ban the use of extreme defensive shifts. What are your thoughts about that? Is anyone happy with all of the rules in Major League Baseball? (laughs) (laughs) It's like every rule, they're going from one to another. Now you can't do this. Now you can't do that. And I think that's, you know, again, it's a part of the game. And I think if... If a hitter's tendency is to do that, all that is is strategy. And if a hitter or a team doesn't like it when people are doing that, then go to work and work on hitting you know, the opposite way. So when they shift one way, you can make them look like fools and get it right in the gap, and they won't do that to you again. But it's hard to argue a team. I mean, that's strategy. That's like switching from zone to man in basketball, depending on what you're working with. You, know, you want to do whatever's going to work best for you. And, Kurt, I wonder how you even enforce it. I mean, what do you say? The players have to be at a certain position. Mm-hmm. They can't go more than X number of feet away from a certain place. Draw lines. Yeah, I, I got to say, right. I, I got to say, I kind of do hate the shift, the overuse of the shift. However, I'm not in favor of legislating against it either. It's just that you see a guy on your team hit a line drive rope to right field, and it's, oh, there's a base hit, which traditionally would be a base hit. All of a sudden, there's a second baseman fielding it, throwing him out. I was super excited on opening day and and the first series, even though a lot of bad things for the Yankees. But Chase Hadley finally started slapping the ball down the third base line and got three hits. He went against the shift 
numerous times in that first series. That's what you have to do to beat that shift is start making them pay for it. They're going to put everybody on one side of the field. You got to learn to hit the ball the other way and make them pay, particularly if you're, you know, I, I, I've seen so many Yankee players just thinking of the Yankees who have been, I think, totally psyched out by the shift where they just continue to hit into the teeth of the shift and their averages drop by 30, 40, 50 points to Shira and others. I think the way you beat the shift is you got to go the other way. So, Mitch, some listeners might be wondering, why don't players go the other way more often? They're stubborn. I mean, I think that was Big Poppy, even, you know, as great as he was, he knew that they were shifting on him every time, and he would hit those ropes into right field that Kurt was just talking about. And, uh, you know, he'd get thrown out at first base. But when your strength is hitting that way, you don't want to change your swing. And a lot of these guys are reluctant. They, they, I think they're worried that if they start to try to change their swing to go the other way, they're going to they're gonna ruin their natural swing. Well, you know what? you get, you got to deal with it. And, uh, you know, bunt. Bring back the art of the bunt. You put a bunt down the third base line with those guys shifted over all the way over, they're going to get on base every time. But Ted Williams had the best solution to all this because this shift goes way back. This goes back to the 40s. They were using this back then against Ted Williams. He said, I'm just going to hit it over them all into the bullpen, see what they can do about that. Can't put a shift in the right field stands. Exactly. (laughs) Well, one thing we haven't talked about that definitely affects the speed of the game is instant replay. Aaron, what are your thoughts about that? You know, I think it's just that gray area and when do you – I don't know. <laughs> it's another complaint, of course, but I think uh you know there's times when you wish you wish you can rely on things like that. There's times when you just want the human element of the game to still be a part of the game. It's hard these days though with social media and with television and how mm. in depth, you know, when you're sitting at home watching a, a game and something goes against the call and you're like you can very clearly see it and you just, you know, you want what's going to work out to your team to happen it's just one of those things you know 20 years ago they don't have it what are they going to have 20 years from now got to be careful with it though in my opinion mitch i i like the idea of getting the calls right but you really got to be careful how this is done i know they put a 30 second limit now on it so managers can't go in the dugout and look at the replay over and over and then decide you got to be careful but i had a friend who was online with me during the Yankees' first game, and he said, my brother just said to me, I'm not watching another baseball game this year because I watched the first inning of the Yankee game, three instant replays in the first 10 minutes. Limit them. I'm a fan of them, but speed them up. Just speed them up. Well, it's going to be great to see how this baseball season develops. Many thanks to our panel, Aaron Cofield, Kurt Wright, and Mitch Wortlieb. Thanks very much for being on the program. Go Yankees. You bet. Thanks, Bob. Go Red Sox. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our show for today. If you have a comment you'd like to share, leave us a note on the Vermont Edition page at VPR.net. You can also find us on Facebook or tweet us at Vermont Edition. Recent content from Vermont Edition is available in the NPR One app. Vermont Edition is produced by Rick Sengary. Sam Gale Rosen, and Meg Malone. Jake Rusnock directed the program. Our executive producer is Patty Daniels. I'm Bob Kinzel. Thanks for listening.